Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life, in the same spirit as the community conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and today we are excited to launch a new series on studying the Bible. It is January of 2022, which means we are kicking off a new year. And as most of you know, at the beginning of any new year, people typically reflect on the past 12 months and look ahead to the 12 months to come. Along with that comes resolutions and goals for ways we want to do things differently and enter into the world in those coming years. And so with that in mind, we know that people often have the goal of reading their Bible more. And so in that spirit, we have decided to put together this series that will hopefully simplify and inspire all of us to read our Bibles more through understanding more about translations, study Bibles, and commentaries. Yeah, it's going to be a fun series. It's going to be multimedia. We're going to have... Multimedia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got articles. We're going to have pictures on the gram. Oh, we are going to try some pictures on, yes, on the gram, as you call it. Not so much for the translations, but when we do the uh, study Bibles and commentaries, it'll be helpful. So we're going to be all over the, the web are we now? Okay. <laughs> I don't think we had too, too many plans about that, but we'll see what happens. We um, we know that it can often be really confusing. If you were to go on and say, search around for a new Bible or a new study Bible, or maybe you want to explore a commentary, you start searching online and it really becomes overwhelming quickly. There's so many options. How do you know what the differences really are? What kind of value do they bring? What kind of differences do they offer? And does it really matter? Those are the kind of questions we're going to be exploring and hopefully bringing some clarity to an often complicated you know, area of studying your Bible, but one that really doesn't have to be. So in that space, the first part of this series today is going to be covering the world of translations. So Kevin, as we start, I think it's really important to have a foundation for why understanding translation of the Bible is important. So can you share a little bit about, from your perspective, why it's so important? Yeah, I think, I think it all comes down to readability. I think that's, that's the most important part. I think that's lost. Mo- most people are familiar with probably King James. I mean, mm-hmm. we have some stats here later. That's actually, believe it or not, still the most popular English, at least in America, and um, it's a difficult book. If you were to put it on a grade level, it, I believe it's rated a 13, which means it's, it's essentially college-level reading. That, that's honestly just very hard for devotional. The, the words are archaic, um, and we'll, we'll dive into that. There's some issues with that. There's also, um, you want to jump into the, the, the literal, the different types? So we have, we have two types, really, kind of on a spectrum. And there's a lot of, there's probably 25 translations out there. And they all more or less fall on a spectrum of of word for word or literal um, on one side or a thought for thought, um, which kind of won't be paraphrased. We'll talk about that, but a thought for thought on the other. You also see these listed as formal equivalent. And that that is, again, going to be the the literal or the more literal side. And then the dynamic equivalent. And that dynamic is supposed to mean like helping you understand Mm -hmm what this really means. So the language isn't going to be exact. And I think, I want to talk about literal for a minute because I think a lot of people say, I I want the most literal because mm-hmm. that's that's the word of God. That's how it was uh, received. That's that's how the apostles wrote, say, you know, the New Testament. And that's, um, so I'd say if you want literal, then you should be reading the Greek. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So it's, uh, but, but there are problems with literal because, well, for one thing, no one's going to do it. The closest thing to literal is what's called an interlinear 
And that is going to have the Greek go across a line, and then below it, they'll put the English like word for word. So mm-hmm. our grammar is not going to match. Um, it may make no sense. You know, you know the very disputed-ish uh, Timothy, where Paul mm-hmm. tells Timothy elders, um, you know, should either be married once or should be faithful to their wives or mm-hmm. should be a man of one. The Greek there, the, the entire sentence is man, woman, one. Mm-hmm. So that is literal. Yeah. That doesn't really help you read very well. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, it becomes difficult. But you also don't want to go too far. Um, and I think too far on the other side is something like a paraphrase. And that becomes someone else's interpretation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we'll jump into some others here in a little bit. But that's that's really why it's important. If you want to read and study the Bible, I think you want to know. It, it sounds funny to say the difficulty level. But for instance, like the NRSV is grade 11, mm-hmm. and that's going to be pretty close to literal. And then on the other end, kind of the dynamic equivalent, um, which I really like, the New Living Testament is going to be the sixth grade level. Mm-hmm. So I actually like reading that for like Chronicles, Kings. I like it for Job. Some of the difficult Old Testament, it, it just helps you understand what is happening when there's confusing old things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, if any of you listening have taken a language course at any part of your, mm-hmm. your growing up, you know, I I know that in, in most schools, um, through high school at least, there's some requirement for language and then some people choose to take it in college. I studied Spanish. I actually was one of my majors in college and you spent a lot of time in, in German mm-hmm. as well. And for anyone out there who's done that, you know that you can't really take one sentence and translate it exactly. And so there's a very specific discipline within the Christian community and the church as a whole that has dedicated time, resources, and expertise to really bring us translations of different kinds. And so that's, I think, why it's at its core so important because it's by its nature going to have slight variances in the approach. Yeah, and there's there's idioms too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for, for parts of the judgment and prophecy in the Old Testament's, you know, Hosea or Amos, or I guess not Hosea, but Amos, uh, Zechariah, mm-hmm. you know, Jeremiah will say, and their teeth will be clean. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. It means they haven't eaten. It means they're starving. Mm-hmm. But if you translate that, I, that's just confusing. And of course, there's, there's. Uh, I think uh, when they talk about pregnant people, that's that's one of the funniest ones to give you an example of how people translate it. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Greek, it'll say her belly was enlarged. Yeah. And some people like archaic and awkward language, which I don't like, like with child, because <laughs> yeah. no one speaks like that. You could just say she's pregnant. Yeah. Or a modern idiom would be she's showing, mm-hmm. right? Perhaps, something like yeah. That. I think something so along those lines would be true. Th- that, that's what we're talking about in translations, how you understand the difference in literal versus getting an idea across, keeping idiomatic or not. Yeah. Things like that. Exactly. So before we get into more of the details of some of the main translations that the church is using today and and what they offer us as believers in our study of the Bible, we did want to take just a little time at the top of this episode to really look at a very high level of the the history of the translation of the Bible from the beginning of it being written to today. And so we're going to walk through that little by little. As many of you may know, but perhaps it's a good review, you know, it started off, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. And so you have it starting in this language, and then, you know, at one point the Old Testament was then translated into Greek, which many of us know it was called the Septuagint, and then the New Testament being primarily in Greek. So you have these two languages primarily that it starts from. I know we talked about earlier that the Old Testament had a little bit of Aramaic. There's some Aramaic. Um, out, but, but primarily you have these two languages that provide the very foundation from which 
we, we read the Bible and have our translations today. Most of us do not know Hebrew and Greek, at least in the modern you know, American church. Um, some of us may have picked up words along the way, but for us to understand and read for ourselves, it has gone through a process over centuries of being translated. So do you want to pick up where I left off as far as chronicling that history of translation from those original two languages to where we are today a little bit? Yeah, so we started with the Greek um, in the New Testament and, and the Septuagint because the early church fathers, of course, spoke Greek. The um, the apostles, the, the writers of the New Testament spoke Greek, which is why if you've ever looked... Um, at like a little footnote in your Bible that says somebody's quoting Amos or Joel or the Psalms, and it doesn't quite match up uh, till you flip over to the Old Testament. That's because your Old Testament in English is taken from the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. They were quoting the Septuagint, so they're actually and it doesn't quite line up. And that's because you know different translations are mm-hmm. in different ways. And I think that's an interesting example. But from the Greek, that that was the standard. So you'd have basically the whole Bible: our Old Testament, New Testament, and the Greek. Then, because that was the common language, right? And then the common language really became Latin. And so mm-hmm. Jerome, about 1,500, 1,700 years ago or so, we're talking 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, 3rd or 4th, uh, translated the Septuagint and the New Testament into Latin because that was the language of the people. Now, everyone knows very popularly after that, that became just the language of priests. And we're talking 500, 700, 1,000 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we, we do have the schism. And so the Orthodox. Orthodox Church kept their Greek, but we're talking about the Western Church, the Catholic Church. They mm-hmm. they kept Latin. The priests would speak Latin. Um, they would read Latin. Though you can look at our, our Reformation podcast, uh, they may not have actually understood Latin, but they mm-hmm. could recite it. But people didn't necessarily speak Latin anymore, and so there started being here and there copies of the local language. And um, you know, in God's providence, this coincided with the printing press. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, Luther translated, I should say, in one of the things that came out of the Reformation was going back and getting the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing. So if you have your Bible today in English, it's going to be translated directly from the Hebrew and directly from the Greek. Um, and so Martin Luther in German took the Hebrew and the Greek and he translated that into German. That's the mm-hmm. first, I believe, uh, certainly the first full Bible in German. Uh, similarly, we had, I love your note here, Tyndall hyphen died. <laughs> um, Tyndall translated the New Testament into English, and he, he used the Greek, not the Latin. Um, he did not finish the Bible. I believe Coverdale finished the Bible uh, for the whole, sorry, for the whole the Old Testament and New mm-hmm. Testament. So he, he's, he's credited with having the whole Bible in English. And, and there are others came up, the Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible, which is technically the first study Bible. So we won't dive into all that yet. Um, and then, of course, the most famous was um, the King James. And that was kind of a response to the Bishop's Bible, and that's kind of outside this podcast. But the King James is probably, I mean, has to be the most influential book in the English language. Mm-hmm. Um, you see all kinds of cool estimates and studies about how many hundreds of words and idioms and phrases we have that come from that. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll fast forward a couple hundred years. It's 18, 1900, and, um, you know, the King James is not based on the best text. And so people found better texts. They improved scholarship on the Hebrew and Greek. And um, so we kind of had the RSV. And then really, let's just call it the 60s, 70s, 80s, we had an explosion mm-hmm. into all the ones we have today, right up into now, with probably the newest famous one would probably be the ESV, 
which mm-hmm. kind of comes off the RSV, but it's, uh, I think, 2001. Mm-hmm. So That sounds right. Yeah, and then the, the NIV and the New Living Translation, which many of you are likely familiar with, um, the Christian Standard, which is one I actually recently switched to. And and I have to comment. We which kinda, was previously called the Holman Christian yes, Standard. They the dropped Holman the Holman. Standard. They dropped the Holman. But I, I, feel, I feel like I need to go back and explain the laughter I had when we talked about Tyndall with the note of died. <laughs> Because before we even get into, I probably shouldn't laugh at someone dying. It's actually quite because um, he was actually martyred. No, he was martyred, and and it's I, I think it was more the the humor of the note because it was so short. But I think one of the things that has been impressed upon me a lot as we've talked about this is the fact that as these were originally being translated, like people took this endeavor so seriously that they mm-hmm. wanted the word of God in the language people could understand, so they could read it for themselves and understand God more to the point where one of those one of those individuals, Tyndall, who was who was pushing for the English version, correct? English, yeah, and he had to flee like, England. He was willing to die in his pursuit mm-hmm. of bringing the word of God into into, you know, popular understanding. And in thinking about that and reflecting on that even freshly again as we've been putting this together has been so convicting to me because of how often I take it for granted and you've talked about that's, that quite that's, a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you went back to that. Um yeah, I, and I know a lot of people, you know, especially as reformedy people and, and hardcore ones are, you, you don't like, you don't like when people say you have to read your Bible every day. And we're not saying that. I'm saying, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. If you don't read your Bible, and it doesn't have to be every day, but if you don't regularly read your Bible, you're basically saying, I'm fine being a medieval peasant <laughs> who was illiterate, yeah. right? I, I mean, before the printing press, before this, most people couldn't read the Bible. It was translating English. People died for this. People died to have it in a language. Now, granted, it would have just been the kind of aristocracy and people who could afford books at the time. But because of that growth, because of the printing press, within a few hundred years, literacy rates skyrocketed. Public mm-hmm. schools started, I believe, in, I think, Scotland, probably, and then Sunday schools in um, colonial America. Their whole point was to teach people to read. The whole point of teaching people to read was to read the Bible. So we changed society to read the Bible. And now we don't bother. We don't waste mm-hmm. our time on it. I'm looking at this stack of Bibles right here. We have eight, nine translations um, yes, of, of the Bible in our house, including, I think, three different languages. Four different languages. Oh, yeah, we do have that and, one downstairs yeah. in Spanish. Um, and I, ha- I have a German and a Greek one. And uh, and your phone has everything that's ever existed. That's translated into it. So, I mean, It's so accessible. We, we have these, and, and we don't care. And I think that's one reason. Again, you're kind of overwhelmed. Um, I'm going to draw a blank, so I'm just going to move on. People can be – what's it? Paralysis analysis? Like oh, there's, yeah. there's so many versions. You're like, ah, I'll pick one later. That, that's one reason we want to do this. Just – Pick one, take our recommendations, baby, <laughs> sure, yes, and, and go on. But people just don't take it seriously to read a Bible. I'm glad you brought us back to that, but let's, uh, we, yeah. we digress. We do a little bit, but I think it is an important note because it does set the tone for the fact that we should take it seriously. Mm-hmm. All right, so as we transition ever so gracefully into the next section. It's called a segue, people. It is, yes. I, I, I'm going to go through because there are there are different areas of the world, of course, that read different translations. There are different denominations that prefer one mm-hmm. over another. And so just to give you a sense for how they compare, we pulled two top five lists for the usage of certain translations in America. The first one is through the Center for the Study of Religion and American Culture through, I think, Indiana University and Purdue. That's the ooey pooey, the ridiculously named university. But anyway, keep going. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, 
And that is, it's going to lean a little bit more on, on the Catholic and Anglican side of the fence, of course. Um, but they have their percentages. They have number one translation as King James at 55%, NIV at 19%, NRSV at 7%, New American at 6%, and New Living at 5%. And when you switch over to the National Association of Evangelicals, their most recent survey put NIV in the number one slot at 39%, the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible, at 20%, the ESV at 13%, the New King James at 9%, and the New Living, the NLT, at 7%. So just to give you an idea of what is currently popular and in use, um, and there's there's other groups that have pulled different surveys, but there are a few that have remained in the top five, um, but they've also been switching places over the years as people are starting to learn more about options and the way in which pieces are translated, which I find interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out just a, a change over time. If you've been in a conservative or reformist church over the past 20 years, you've probably seen this. This is from um, Tom Schreiner, and we'll have a link um, to, to my post that has these articles and them um, uh, from the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. And this is across 20 years and, and they do a top 10 and, and, you know, like the HSCB is six, the NSAB drops, NLT stays top five, ESV moved up slightly, but even in this one, NIV is still number one and the King James remain number two. And I'm really surprised that King James is still that popular. Um, just kind of a cool note, the, you're gonna have to pronounce that. Oh, Reina Valera. That would be a Spanish language. Went from unranked in, I believe, twenty or 2000 um, to top seven. Oh, it was number seven in Look at uh, that. about two or three years ago. So that's really cool. Our Spanish brothers and sisters uh, <laughs> reading their Bible. Interesting. Very cool. Well, and with that, we are today on this episode going to explore five of the, the most widely used ones Um not necessarily the top five based on these two lists, but just five that we run into most in our circles that kind of align more with the National Association of Evangelicals and just give a little bit of insight into where they land on the word-for-word versus thought-for-thought spectrum, along with some of their potential pros and cons, their their reading level and their readability just in general within that, and then some other things to keep in mind if you are considering a new translation or evaluating your current one and exploring if you want to pair that with a new one to just get different um, perspectives and entry points into those. So so we're going to start with the most literal, go through to dynamic equivalent, and then I'm going to have two quick notes on two other translations. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're going to start with the New American Standard Bible, which is typically referred to as the NASB. And it is one of the most literal and word for word. So on that spectrum that Kevin had shared earlier, it's like all the way to the, the farthest side, I think, barring maybe one past that. No, outside not, of an inter- oh, no, it it, is. it's going to be the most. It is the most word for word. So, so talk a little bit about that and what it does for the everyday reader. Yeah. Again, the problem with that is, is it can be a little clunky. So I have an NASB. Um, actually, I have a parallel Bible with the NASB and the Amplified. I guess just a quick side note on the Amplified. If you ever get one of those, I do like them. They try to be literal, but what they do when the word can have different meaning, they put in parentheses and give you two or three different ways to translate it. So mm-hmm. it kind of helps you. Um, but I don't know if you can find that on its own. Um, the NASB, you know, came around decades ago. It was meant for evangelicals, um, has a conservative bent, um, if that helps, which means if they're not sure which way of translation, they're going to go more towards the conservative fundamentalist. Uh, it was meant to be academic. It, it's rating is high. It, it's, it, it would be an 11th grade rating. And I guess we should, um, maybe we should have done this earlier, but kind of talk about 
the way people write when they do these. You may be like, well, I graduated high school. What's wrong mm-hmm. with 11th grade? Um, for instance, like a, a politicians mm-hmm. speak at like 7th, 8th, or former politician um, spoke at a third grade level. So newspapers are what, 6th, 7th grade? Mm-hmm. Um, most books are in kind of that. So I, I know what some of you are thinking, like, well, why can't I read 11th? That just means it's far more difficult than the average thing you're reading, mm-hmm. say. Um, and also the language is a little clunky. Uh, but but it is very it's very literal and, and it, it does get rid of most of the archaic language which, mm-hmm. which I do like yeah and so there, there's particular ways in which if you were wanting to read a passage you might go to the NASB if you're looking for one particular understanding of something that's mm-hmm. happening versus one of the more thought for thought and so honestly as as we share these we often recommend having a good grasp of both on both sides as you do it too. I think there's a lot of value in understanding that, but that is one of the the downsides of the word for word can be clunky because it is just literally like the most word for word. Right. Exactly. I mean, really. And and when you do that translation, it can be, but but you will get, so for instance, in, in the old Testament, you will say something like, and his nose was red, mm-hmm. which means he was angry. So yeah. there will be some things that are lost. Yes, exactly. And so that's where some of the, the thought for thought or even commentaries and some understanding in that sense, which we'll talk about in some of our later series, come in handy in understanding that. So moving along, the next one is the English Standard Version, also known as the ESV, which is very popular and is growing in popularity since it's one of the more recent ones, published first in 2001, I mm-hmm. believe. So it's 20 years old this year, actually. It's 2022 right now. 20, it is 2022. It is it over is, 20 it is 21. years old. It can drink now. Wow. <laughs> Our conservative friends. Are here we go. Um, it is still fairly literal, um, but it, as you called it in in your blog post earlier um, in the year, it remains or retains some of the churchiness of the King James. Can you tell what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's 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 the with child, mm-hmm. um, and, and some of it some of it's fine. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, well, we'll go to the Psalms. You and I both like the Psalms. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Psalm twenty three, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is a bad translation. It just is, though it gets the idea across. So it's not literal, but but there it's the valley of darkness. So you understand what it means. Mm-hmm. Much more poetic, which I think is fine. You know. It's things like that. Mm-hmm. Some, so sometimes I think it can help. But what they tried to do is kind of this hybrid thing of we're literal. They call themselves essentially literal. literal. They claim to be the most literal. They um, are not. But they want to keep some of that King James kind of language. They want to think the, the familiarity. What, mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is, so they don't come in the line of the King James. They come out of the RSV, mm-hmm. um, and which was kind of a response to the NIV. Well, not the RSV. The RSV is old. Then we had the NIV, which was one of the first major dynamic equivalent. Uh, that's the new, new international version. And the ESV said, man, we need to update. We need to fix the RSV. Um, there's gender neutral language. They were mad about that. So they, they wanted to make the ESV. Um, but they wanted to reach back and call back to that King James. So they use, I don't know, they just use old church language mm-hmm. that, that aren't necessarily great translations. And Again, reading that literal is already, as, as we mentioned a couple times, gets a little clunky. Throwing in some archaic language just mm-hmm. makes it even more difficult, I think. It, it can be. I think I think one upside to having kept that is that there is something to say about communal reading of Scripture when there are phrases like the the valley of the shadow of death. Everyone mm-hmm. knows that because it's yes. so common. So there exactly. is, there is a benefit to that sure. on the other side. I think it's always good to do pros and cons of certain ones. But there is, you know, this 
collective ability of a church or a community or, a, a, you know, a, a global church to understand and know a passage in, in a similar voice. And so I think there's some, some value in that. But it does, right. it does make it a little clunkier. It is a little more reformed in its word choices when it translates, um, which is why it's used a lot in, in reformed churches a little mm-hmm. more often than in not. Um, but it also has something called um, that co- it's called harmonization that occurs within it too. And I know that that's something that you've really come to understand more about as we've looked into this one. Yeah, this, this bugs me, especially, again, for someone claiming to be literal. Um, there are parts of the Bible that don't necessarily match doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means things were written at different times. For instance, Kings and Chronicles. Mm-hmm. There are people in there, there are names that in Kings don't necessarily line up with Chronicles, but that's just broadly speaking, it can be because it was a nickname or the name just kind of changed over time. Mm-hmm. So in um, a more literal one, they're just going to put it exactly like it is, the two different names. Mm-hmm. Um, good Bibles like the NRSV or the NIV, uh, I think the NLT does this too, will keep the names different. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's how, again, if you believe this is the inerrant inspired word of God that we are translating, you need to keep it the way it was. And there'll be a footnote explaining why there might be this, you know, quote, discrepancy, mm-hmm. why it may not match up. The ESV doesn't do that. If you read Kings and then skip over to Chronicles, they're going to say the same name. And that's just not translating correctly. And we see this too. In Paul's conversions accounts, the um, did they hear, did they see, Mm -hmm. they are literally rewriting the Bible. And I just, I find that deeply problematic. Um, The ESV is just not one I would recommend, uh, which is, I suppose, ironic. It is our church's use. Mm -hmm. It's, um, if you're in the broadly reformed-ish conservative world, it's going to be the one you use. Um, I really do not like it because of the harmonization. I do not like their capitulation to the Gideons, uh, that's all. That could be its own podcast, but mm-hmm. they literally went in and changed the language of the Bible uh, so that Gideons would take them over King James. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find all that deeply problematic. But we'll, we'll yeah. move on well, from that. The, yeah. the, the uh, he, she thing, too. Which part of the he, she thing? Or like that one of the reasons that the ESV was initially created was to translate instead of like, blessed is the one. Oh, sure, sure. It went yeah. in to kind of create mm-hmm. a, a very conservative bent of blessed is he in many instances, which is right. just being discussed a lot right now in, in yeah. the Christian community. So like Psalm 1 in the Hebrew says, blessed is the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so your options, most modern translations have said, we believe that women are also blessed from mm-hmm. the word of God. <laughs> so you'll have like, blessed are they, which isn't great. Blessed is the one. I guess that's what I would mm-hmm. lean toward. Or, you know, um, something like that. Mm-hmm. But they keep the he, and they kept the he because NIV moved mm-hmm. to a, an inclusive. Of course, we're not talking some sort of denying Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, we're not no, talking not about getting rid of gendered language when it matters. But if you're yeah. talking to, like, people are mad sometimes when it says, like, dear brothers and sisters. Now, mm-hmm. of course, Paul wrote dear brothers. But if you don't think it's for your women in your church, I think you're missing something. But that's yeah. a bit of a digression. Um, and I think, again, I think it suffers from readability. We, we, we can move on. It, it, it actually has a seventh grade readability. So it is lower or easier in that sense than some of our others. Um, but I, just, I find it the mm-hmm. I find it the worst, or I find it suffers the most in readability. Yeah. The next one, so this is more thought for thought than the first two that we just talked about, would be the new revised standard version called the NRSV. Kevin's already shared quite a bit about it because it's one that he's recently transitioned to for his daily reader, really. Yeah, we'll, it, we'll post the article I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Maybe I'll get it. Um, but both both the ESV and the NRSV 
come from the RSB back from the 70s. And there's a, there's like 96% agreement. So if you mm-hmm. take the thousands of words in the Bible, almost everyone's going to agree, except for some of those things we were just talking about. So yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a really good one in that. It uses a lot more modern English, which is helpful yes. for readability. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier to get through than, say, an ESV. And for those of you who may be familiar with ESV and you think you're so used to it at this point, it could be interesting to, to find one that's a little more thought for thought and readable in that sense, because it, it just is a different entry point into that. And the NRSV is going to be, um, it's, I wouldn't say, see, I. so this is the interesting thing, right? I find it easier to read than ESV, but it's rating as a 10 and a half. So I guess halfway through 10th grade, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, so, te- you know, quote, harder than the ESV up at the seventh, at a seventh grade level. Mm-hmm. But because of the flow, the word choice, the grammar yeah. they use, I find it easier. Now, this is also going to be the most, the anglicized version, that is the, the British English. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the most popular English version in the world. And I believe the most common for um, Catholics as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the next one is one that many of you are likely very familiar with. It is the New International Version, the NIV, which on the one of the lists that we shared earlier was the number one, according to the mm-hmm. National Association mm-hmm. of Evangelicals. And for good reason. Many consider this to be the true midpoint between the word for word and the thought for thought in in Bible translations. And so it has been held up as a great example of, of a midpoint between the two. Yeah, it was really the first dynamic equivalent made-up whole-cloth Bible in modern English, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. It it has – its readability is incredibly high. It's very easy to get through, as anyone who has read it is familiar Mm -hmm. with. It's what we grew up with, It's Yes, Mm -hmm. it's what I grew up with. It's – I mean, I think I had an – I think I probably had an NLT, but I think most of my – most of my – young adult life was spent in, a, in an NIV and actually mm-hmm. just transitioned recently to something else that isn't part of this list. But it does have broader a broader theological stance than the ESV. It is not as reformed in some of its language choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes it a little more accessible for all denominations, which which speaks to its overall popularity. Should I? Okay. I, I should probably say something about people may get confused about the, what do you mean a reformed translation? I'll, I'll just give one brief example. because Yeah, this that is, would be helpful. So, um, you know, in Romans, there's a word, it's difficult to translate, um, and it'll be, you know, some will translate it, propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. You're going to get propitiation in the ESV. Um, in like the NIV, I think, and the NRSV, you're going to get expiation. Mm-hmm. And some of the more um, dynamic, or yeah, dynamic equivalents like the Holman or the NLT, you're going to get um, atoning for our sins. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, again, that's kind of a, a, a niche mm-hmm. uh, theological de- debate between propitiation and expiation. I, I don't I do, my reading, my understanding of the Greek. I think the expiation's better, but we do know, as our Reformed theology is, as our belief, our that's our tradition. Propitiation is the language to use, but it's not again the literal language there. You get the concept mm-hmm. of propitiation through the rest of the book. So yeah. when we say more Reformed. That's the, it is a more narrowly focused way of translating. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I, I think that helps. I'm glad you I'm glad you pointed that out because we did talk about that in preparing this. That that could we be did. a confusing <laughs> point. So um, it just didn't make it into my formal notes. So <laughs> there we go. All right. Last but not least on our list of some of the top ones that are in, in popular use right now in the American church is the New Living Translation or the NLT. This is definitely the newest, and it is probably the best example of thought for thought. I know that you like this one a lot. Did you um, say this was the newest? Yeah. Oh, no. Is it not? No, no, no. This, one, this one's old. Oh, goodness. I'm um, glad you caught that. I okay. must have translated that <laughs> correctly. <laughs> no, I think the ESV would be the newest popular. No, NLT, 
This was the first true one. So, you know, you were saying the NIV is really kind of splits the middle. This was probably the first, maybe not. I know there's the English language Bible, but this was one of the first very popular ones um, that kind of took that thought for thought. Okay. And I would say you can find these little charts and spectrums everywhere. I would not go past the uh, NLT. I wouldn't use um, the Living Bible. The mess. We'll talk about the message in a minute. Um, but this one is is really great if you have a. a um, and, and this is going to be again broadly evangelical. You know, it's going to be that type of. Um, I don't want to say slant, but it's going to be that way. It's written at a six and a half grade level. Um, mm-hmm. We should go back real quick. The NIV is at an eighth, so a little. Okay. Yeah. Um, even though I think it reads better in ESV. Mm-hmm. Uh, NLT I think is great. I uh, taught sixth grade boys Sunday school one point which is its own story but I, I tried using the NLT for them because it was it was could help them understand as I mentioned earlier I think it's very helpful for um Old Testament yeah it is yeah that is true and I know that from a completely different vantage point the NLT and some of those more thought for thought are often used in more creative endeavors I've seen them mm. used and held up That's like in songwriting sure. communities when we talk about writing because they they're just a little more poetic in nature, they tend mm-hmm. to be, and so they they lend some of that language, and it's just simpler. So you kind of have a little more to work with in common language and bringing that into some things like that. So I actually have seen and have used more of that side of that that shift, not shift that that line of word for that. word versus thought for thought. Yeah. Oftentimes, the thought for thought is easier to work with in a songwriting context, sure, because of that nature. As so a songwriter, just, I can see how that would. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. I think if you're trying this year to, to read the Bible through and you have, maybe you have a couple of these on your shelf somewhere anyway. Um, it, you know, Genesis is pretty straightforward, but man, once you get into Deuteronomy with all the laws and Chronicles with the history and the confusing language of poetry and even the confusing language of um, prophecy, it, it's going to be shorter in the NLT because mm-hmm. it's not going to be as repetitive as you get in say Deuteronomy, like mm-hmm. I said. Um, but also that thought for thought simplifies it and tells you what they're getting at, which gives you a little more license. Mm-hmm. It helps you be a little more poetic. And so I, I could see mm-hmm. how yeah, absolutely. Um, that would help. Absolutely. But yeah, if you're starting now and you have it, go start with NLT and then switch to NRSV when you get to the New Testament. I don't <laughs> yes. know. Yeah, it's so true. And, and funny enough, I know um, I actually, I know I mentioned a, a minute ago that I had been primarily using the NIV. I actually switched to the one, one of the ones that we mentioned earlier called the Christian Standard, which used to be the Holman Christian Standard, which is making its way up the charts. I think it actually came in at number six or seven on um, the National Evangelical mm-hmm. um, list. So that's that we, published we, we by referenced. the Southern Baptist Convention publishing order. Yeah, and that one is, is similar in a sense of the NIV, it's in that middle ground. I think mm-hmm. it might be slightly more word for word than the NIV technically. Actually, you I think it's that back less. Up. Let's, find, less. let's find the chart. But it's one of those that's right in the middle. Um, oh, no, there it is. Over there. Oh, yep, yep, you're right. No, it's a, it's a couple paces more to the word for word, but still has more of the thought for thought side of the translation than the ESV and the NASB. And so I've, so far, I've been reading and using that for about six months so far, and I've really liked having a different translation to work from. I'm so familiar with, in particular, NIV language because it's been just my biggest entry point into the Word of God over decades. And then more recently, ESV because of some of um, just what we use in our church and some of the the language that's used there. And so having a new translation, um, which is actually between those two, has been really interesting on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've enjoyed it a lot and it's allowed me to, to see certain passages differently. And I think anytime you can take a passage and see the different word choices that would be considered correct, 
kind of like when you study language and you understand that like this word means kind of the slight nuance that's different than the English word. It just, it just helps and it deepens. And so it's been really neat to do that. So if anyone out there is like, hey, all I read all those five and you want another idea, <laughs> there's the, yeah, there's I would the Christian standard too. Maybe 10 years ago or so, I got a study Bible that was eight, one of the Holman Christians, but I, I, I really liked it. I found it, it I, I might say that's the, I don't have the, the um, grade level here, but I'd say, Okay, so New Living is going to be the easiest to read, but I would say this is the most readable of the ones that are more on the word for word. I think it's really, really well written. Um, oh, yeah, my note over here, different than yours. Um, well, okay, do you want to do the two notes on King James and then maybe I'll jump on this or should I do the churchiness now? Either way. Because this is also the problem with the King James. So another churchiness thing that I don't like um, compared to what we mentioned earlier is measurements. It is nuts to me that the Old Testament will talk about, like, baths of oil. Mm. That's just dumb. Like, why? <laughs> we should be saying, ga- or, well, leaders for the rest of the world out there, thank you for listening. For us Americans, gallons, right? So I just, uh, cubits, you know, those th- those things just bug me. So that's that's not necessarily churchiness, but that's the old measurements that aren't really understood. Mm-hmm. If you see that, you know, the disciples walked three fathoms to get somewhere, you don't know what that that means mm-hmm. and that i guess is a good segue to the king james <laughs> this is super controversial if you go to amazon reviews i remember when you were looking at yours if it is not king james you will see uh, um like cut and paste copy pasta from uh the king james only movement that just attacks every bible for it not being inspired and for them removing the bible you know liberal global conspiracy mm-hmm. I mean, they tack the ESV and the NASV. Like, it's it's just nuts. It's, anyway. Uh, and they will argue the King James is um, met on, or based on the best. It's not. It's based on the worst. It's based on the most incomplete. Now, there, for instance, Mark is longer. Um, and there's some reasons for that. Mark was obviously originally a scroll. Most scholars agree the beginning and end of Mark was probably torn off, and so people have tried to reconstruct based on their knowledge. That's that's a different thing, but um, <laughs> it, it's based on the most incomplete and the most archaic. And, and the language, the language in it is so old that words can mean the complete opposite now. Hmm. Uh, we'll have some links for that now. So you're not actually understanding. You, you may be reading, saying, "I'm getting this," but words could mean completely different. Also. Uh, Psalms have unicorns in them, and because again, it's it's just not a good translation. I do not recommend it. Uh, we have one; it's kind of a legacy Bible in our family. I don't use it for reading. I, I wouldn't recommend it, and it's also difficult against grade thirteen um, because you're reading Shakespeare essentially, mm-hmm. and most people don't understand that, and it's not getting things across correctly. Yeah. And and one last note: the uh, the message. The message is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be used for Bible study or it's not supposed to be accurate. It's one guy's attempt to, I, I don't know, it was, I believe it was written for like his middle school, Sunday school class or whatever, but he just wanted to get a point across. I suppose if you want to use this almost as a commentary, but it should not be your primary. I, I would, yeah. I would definitely recommend against the message and the King James. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually, I would, I would go as far as to say, if it was your primary, I think that could be dangerous theologically. I agree. That's, because that's of some a great of point. some of the sections in in particular are are very troubling, and so to use it as maybe a reference could be okay. But if it is your primary and you are not reading the Word of God from some other translation, 
I would urge you to reconsider and explore one of the other ones that we've talked about for sure. Yeah, like like the NLT. If you're looking yeah. for a simpler version or if, if um, you really hate reading, and I should have put this in the notes somewhere, there is – the NIV does have a um, – I have no idea what it's called. It's like NIV and then some other letter. And it's meant for like international, um, for places that speak English, but it may not be their first language and they don't have the Bible in their language. And so it's like, I don't even know, I want to say it's like third grade or something. So it's mm-hmm. imminently readable, very super easy to understand, but it's at least theologically accurate. Yeah. Do not use the message, working James. That's, that's what we're getting at. <laughs> also, read your Bible. Like I said, yeah. we have. Um, I'm staring at this big stack of Bibles. I also uh, just brief story because we've gone way over what we thought we we're going to do as usual. Um, I have my great granddad's Bible. It is mm-hmm. over a hundred years old. I have the. He kept. I guess as a bookmark. I don't know the old receipt about how much it costs. And if you put that in an inflation calculator, and this is just a straight Bible. There's no notes, no study notes, no cross references. It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny print black leather Bible, it would be almost $200. Mm-hmm. The equivalents that we have, like the one you read on stage or the one I read on a daily, those cost $9. Mm-hmm. You can get just a plain Bible and it's, you just should. Or read your phone if you like your phone. I don't like <laughs> using my phone. so. It's true. Well, and I think that's I think that's our hope in this this series in general. And it'll be a quick series. It's three parts. And we went over translations today with the hope of even if you leave this this discussion feeling like, wow, there is a lot more than I even knew there was about translations, we hope that we at least got you interested in knowing that there are more than one trans that there is more than one translation. I guess it'd be a way to, better way to say it, and that there are options, and that it's great to explore and find one that um, that is really theologically sound and that matches what you're needing to read. And so there are options out there. We definitely have some strong thoughts on ones that are a little bit better than others, but we hope that this just inspires you to to look critically at your Bible and to, if mm-hmm. you're in the market for a new one and you're looking around to hopefully take some of the mystery out of what you're looking at and just give you some starting points for what it looks like to compare them. Because years ago, I would have had no idea what the differences were between them and, mm-hmm. um, and wouldn't have known that some were really just, I mean, that they're owned by certain publishing houses too. And that there's just, I mean, there's just different options. And so that's our true hope with that is that we just continue to foster that, that environment of, of growing deeper thinkers and worshipers. And that happens through reading the word of God and knowing mm-hmm. more about how to study it. I think we'll end it there. Thank you for joining us on, on this first of our three-part series. We invite you to rate, review, and subscribe, which helps you get these episodes as soon as they are out. As we mentioned in our last episode at the end of 2021, we are going to be releasing material as we have it, ready to go and not on a set schedule. So by subscribing, you'll get it as soon as it's ready. And we invite you to also rate and review, which allows our increase to reach and helps more people find us and be part of the conversation. You can also find us on social media at moderncloister.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.